Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. I don't know if you know this, but it's coming. Christmas is coming. And I found out this year, a little differently than normal, it was Halloween morning. I was on my way to church, and Mary Jane and I had forgotten to buy any candy. So I thought, oh, I'm going to buy some candy for trick-or-treaters tonight, no big deal. Going to HEB about 6.30 in the morning, not one piece of candy with Halloween decor, anything. There were some chocolate Santas, there were some Christmas candy. It's like, can you give Christmas candy at Halloween? And so I, I, I called Mary Jane and go, you're not going to believe this, Christmas is coming. And it happened in, in Halloween this year. So in case you didn't know, it's, it's coming. But as we move closer and closer to Christmas, one thing that catches me every year is this place where we seem to have taken Christ out of the holidays, out of the season. That it's not really Christmas, it becomes this furied pace of getting to everything. And it starts about Thanksgiving, or this year Halloween. This year we went to Fayetteville and drove back. And then as soon as you get back, it's time to decorate trees and put lights up, And which Mary Jane says I'm doing this year. And they're still not up, but she says I'm doing it. So we, you kind of get in this hurried pace, and there's parties, and then there's events, and then there's other things scheduled. And suddenly you wake up sometime in the middle of January You've already made your resolutions and probably broken some of them. And you go, God, I just miss Christmas. I miss the whole season. I miss the season with events and all the things that went on around it. But next year, I am not going to do that. Next year, I'm going to start paying attention. I'm going to stop. I'm going to look. I'm going to listen to what God has for me. I'm going to celebrate Christmas. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not too late. We can do it this year. We can pay attention to what God's doing around us. We can pay attention to the coming of our King. And that's what I want to challenge you with today. And that's what our scripture, our passage in Luke really challenges to do. And so we're going to take a look from the gospel reading in Luke. And there's so much we need to pay attention to. But the first thing that I want you to pay attention to or think about is that in ancient times, there would be heralds that would go into communities, to cities, to places, and say, a king is coming. The king is coming. And they would go into the city to prepare them, say, the king is coming. He'll be here any day. And that's exactly what we see in this passage with Luke. The herald also served as a city inspector, and he would go around the city and the roads to get to the city, and he would make a list of all that needed to be fixed. He'd tell them, clean up your city, sweep your streets, get rid of all the garbage, lying around, round up any criminals, make sure there's no mischief or trouble, keep the city safe for me, and fix the roads, make them smooth, straight, straighten them out, get stuff out of the way, fix the potholes, make sure that your city is fit for a king, because he's coming, and he'll be here any day, and it would have been a huge embarrassment for the king to come into a community and not be prepared for the king. He would have been greatly offended by this. In fact, he may mete out some judgment on this city because they weren't prepared for his arrival. It would have been such a terrible thing. And right now, I think we get the opportunity because we have a herald who is calling out the coming of a king. And of course, that king is Jesus Christ, and his, imminent is arri- his arrival is imminent. The king, of course, is Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew brings it out very clearly when he says, but we also have seen that Christ is king in the first two chapters of Luke. The angel told Mary in Luke 132 that her son would sit on the throne of his father David and he would reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom there would be there would be no end. 
And Zacharias' prophecy about Christ in Luke 1, 68 through 75 says kind of the same thing. And the angels came and they trumpeted his birth and gave him a kingly welcome. The herald, the one who pronounced his coming is John the Baptist. But John has come to herald to make sure that the king's subjects are well prepared for the king's arrival. John has come, come to prepare the way. And in this we see the perfection of God's timing. At the beginning of this chapter of Luke, it says in 3, 1 two, through 2a, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, in the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priest. So you hear all these names, and what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means and why this timing is so perfect and why it's important that we have a herald that is announcing the arrival of, of our king, King Jesus. So we look at all these people. It gives us Luke is very detailed. He's an historian. He goes back and he gives us all this information. And we know when it happens. So this is probably between September of 27 AD and October 28 AD. But that's not why he's telling us to just give us a, an idea of what day it was. What he's telling us for is that politically, the Jews were ruled by foreigners, and religiously, Annas and Caiaphas had been illegally put into their positions by Roman authorities. So you see what happens. The government is in disarray. Annas was even sometimes called a viper who hissed or whispered in the ears of judges and politicians in order to influence their decision. And it's really important that we see this. Next week, you'll see what, what happens in Luke 3, 7 for next week's reading. But it is corrupt. The real political and religious conditions of Israel were failing and fallen and corrupt. It was clearly time for the Messiah to be re- revealed. But I want you to hear this. Before a Messiah can fully be revealed, a prophet must rise and call the people back to God. And that's what John is doing. He's calling the people back to God. And what does he do? He calls us to action. There is action. There is obedience. There is preparation that needs to take place because a king is coming. John wasn't just some strange man who wandered around wearing a camel hair's coat, eating locust, which, I mean, it's not what we're eating for Christmas this year, um, and honey out in the desert by himself. He was the herald. He was calling people to action. He was chosen for this purpose. And this herald is very different. And what he's telling people to prepare for the king, they don't need to go out and clean the cities. They don't need to clean the streets. They don't need to prepare the city for the arrival of the king. But to prepare for the arrival of this king, they must look inwardly. Look to their own lives and the mess and sin that they have in their lives. John calls all that are coming out to him to repent. But in a very real sense, he is calling us to repent as well. We should be really clear here. And I want you to hear this, that John's not suggesting the coming of the kingdom is dependent on our repentance or our actions. Men are not to repent so that the kingdom of heaven will come. Men are to repent because the kingdom of heaven is coming. We are to repent. We are to repent. We are to repent. So what does that mean? Repentance is the common translation for the Greek word metanoia, which means not just sorrow for past sins, but a total and radical change of outlook in our relationship with God. 
and other people and other people. It calls us for a radical and genuine renewal and conversion of heart. The metanoia or conversion in turn will bring about the forgiveness of sin. The word here for forgiveness is epiphis, aphesis, rather, sorry. A release or letting go, a liberation from the chains of sin and evil. Forgiveness is seen as the dropping off of heavy baggage or burdens. Forgiveness, too, involves a total reconciliation with our God and with all those whom we have hurt or with whom we have come in conflict. It's healing. It's making whole. This is how we're to prepare for the Lord. This is how, as Luke says, valleys were to be filled where Isaiah and the prophecy Mountains and hills laid low, winding ways, straightened, and rough roads made smooth. This was how each one was to have a personal experience in their own heart of the saving power of God. That is how we are to open ourselves for that saving power. It will come through Jesus, who will heal the sick, who will help the weak, who will forgive the sinner, who will give hope to the hopeless, who will give life, real life, to all who open their hearts to him. A king unlike any other is coming. Are we ready? Are we prepared? There's also no suggestion that repentance is a human work that merits forgiveness of God. There's no hint of the idea if we repent, God will look favorably upon us. John's ministry is consonant with Paul's teaching. In Ephesians, what does it say? It says all of us, all of us are dead in our transgressions, utterly helpless to bring about our own salvation can't do it on our own. But it also says that we're saved by grace and not by our works. And that as children, we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's important for us to see the close connection between repentance and forgiveness. Because while no amount of repentance can ever merit forgiveness in the sight of God, without repentance, no soul will ever be saved. Repentance is the telltale mark of grace And God's work in our life, saving faith and true repentance are always found together. Saved souls are repentant souls. The point that I don't want to miss is the great highway John was building is not one um, that we have to clear the paths. John's highway was repentance. He was saying, mend not your roads, but your lives. To put in terms of geography we may know, It is removing the obstacles out of the way. It's flattening the rocky mountains and filling the death valleys in our lives so that Christ has full access. Repentance invites the fullness of God. In fact, when God's people live repentantly, it also opens the world to know him. People begin to note and notice people of forgiveness, of repentance, the way we care for each other, the way we lean on each other, the way we turn to our God becomes a witness of who we are. I also want you to know this as we read this, as we're called to repentance. There's great hope in this because as we look at John, we know that God can use people just like you and me. That it's, we are chosen. We're select. We are God's own. And because of that, we become the voice in the wilderness to the lost, to the broken, to those that are without hope that we get to be used by God the same way that John has been used by God. We know that he was made for this purpose, and 30 years later, this promise is coming true. John is living in the wilderness, and the word of the Lord comes to him. 
So I mean, think about this. We talk about the emperors, the rulers, the governor, the tetrarchs, the religious high priest. Pretty impressive list of important people that are listed first. Prestigious in the eyes of the world. With great power and great esteem. But the word does not come to them. It comes to a relatively unknown man living in the wilderness. Do not feel like you're disqualified because of your position. God will use those who make themselves available. God uses you and me, not the most prominent, not the most popular. Just get on your knees and pray. In the word of God, spend time in it. God will use you. This is what we see with John. So how does he become strong in spirit, which it says that he does? He goes and he dwells in the wilderness. He lives and breathes and meditates on God's word. He hangs on every word that it says. He listens to God's word. He makes himself available. He consumes God's word, and do we do that? We can look all over Scripture, and we see people who have devoted themselves to study, to meditation, to spending time with God. We know that they become strong in spirit. This is available to us as well. So do we do that? So, and so we see John do that. The second thing that we notice is that he was in the desert. He was in the wilderness. And this shows us that he lived a life separate from the world. Well, we can look at our world and go, well, that's easy. He doesn't have a Christmas party every other day, and he doesn't have stuff going on. Like, of course he can separate himself from the world. But we, too, in Midland, Texas, can separate ourselves from the world. Being separate from the world means you choose not to participate in worldly things or habits. Instead, you decide to fill your life with things that matter to God's kingdom. To live separate from the world is to be a light in the darkness for people to seek out. It looks different for each person, but the best way to discover how God wants you to live, the most important thing that God wants is for us to be with him. And John did this. Dive deeply into scripture. Set aside time to be alone with God. And listen. Pay attention. Listen. Know that through these things, God will faithfully show up. And this is what John does, and this is what I implore you to do. Listen. Take time. Prepare your heart for the coming king. So my question is, is are you prepared? Are you prepared for the coming king as we get in the middle of the season and the hurry and the hustle and bustle? Do we live lives that are separated out? Do we live lives for God? Do we live lives who pay attention to what he has for us? So there's two responses, I think, that come out of this that we have to pay attention to. What is this saying to you? Each year as Advent season comes around, we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus we need to once more hear the challenge and call of John to repent, to turn away, to ask for forgiveness. Our baptism may have been years ago as a child, or maybe not, or even as an adult, but it's constantly being renewed. During this season, we must reaffirm our commitment to Christ, to this community to this body of believers right around us. We need to open ourselves to a deepening of our faith and an either, even deeper change in our hearts. 
a deeper listening to what Jesus is asking of us, asking ourselves the question, Lord, what do you, or asking of the Lord, what do you want for me? What do you have for me? Our second response is the realization that our own role is not unlike the role of John. Like him, each one of us has a mission to communicate the Spirit of Christ and his message of hope, love, freedom, and peace to this earth and to others, to help people fill their valleys and make their rough path smoother, to reach out into a world with the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. This is for each of us. This is part of the response, that we would live more in sharing the good news of Jesus with those that are so desperate for hope, with such a need for good news. My hope for you and for me is that we will pay attention to the coming King, to not be distracted by all that has to get done or by the hurried holiday pace and all the chores and all the meals and presents and all of those things, but that we would take time, that we'd slow down, that we would take a step back and look and listen and learn from the Lord. Don't be lost in the things of this world, but look inwardly, prepare the way, be moved into action into our own lives, and to prepare for our coming King. So I end with this question that I'd love to for you to hang on. Are you prepared? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.